welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, uh, welcome to Church at The Well. My name is VJ. I am one of the pastors on staff here. I'm so happy to be joined by Sundar today, who is my dad. Um, Sunder was my pastor for, I don't know, 30 years almost. Something like that. Yeah. And then we planted our church, left your church. You since retired. And now I'm your pastor. Yeah, this is funny. This is great. The circle of life. No, so he needs a lot of work, so I do have to do a lot of pastoring. Um, no, we're, we're so glad to be with you. And um, we get to do something over the next four weeks that I am just so excited about as mm. I've been preparing is just to have a conversation together and with all of you around um, scripture, the the collection of 66 books that is the library that we call the Bible, but right. it's really a library of scripture. Um, and really, I would say the reason we want to talk about it um, with you um, together is because it has changed our lives. Um, it is a, a book that continues to speak and has transformed both of us. We're going to get into that yeah, a little sure. bit uh, as to how. Um, and so um, well, our, our hope really today is to just spend a bit of time on um, why would you even read this book? Because <laughs> um, we understand it's not a given. Um, it's not something that many of us are familiar with. Maybe you didn't grow up with it. Maybe you don't have a faith background. Maybe you tried it and, and, or, and it, just, you, it just stopped. Maybe... Uh, it's just something that you feel like, well, it's old or it's antiquated or hasn't it been changed and it's not really relevant. Um, none of which actually is true, but I get how we think that and there are periods of life in our in our life where we think that. So we want to really make a case for over the next four weeks to, like, we have an agenda in these four weeks. It is to get you to read scripture yeah, more. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Not because we own shares in the Bible stock <laughs> and we're going to make money. It's free. Um the only person who will benefit from you reading the Bible more is you right. and everyone you love. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to use these four weeks to do that. Today we're going to talk about why, and then the next three weeks, how. So how do I read this book? Um, yeah, I guess to right off the top was like, why bother? Why would we listen uh, to this? Why would we try <laughs> Uh, without giving away all of our four weeks, yeah. like where would you start, Dad? Like well, what? You know, I'm learning that the starting point for everything is Jesus. Mm-hmm. Okay, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when it comes to a life question, well, what did Jesus do? It was a great place to I think there was a book like that sometime ago about what would Jesus do, right? Well, what did he do? He immersed himself in the scriptures. He, he lived a scripture-shaped life. Somebody once said, if you prick this person, he bleeds Bible. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Jesus, he, he immersed himself in the story, not in any kind of a mechanical, oh, that's what it says, therefore you need to do that. He got a sense of this story, this history, and how his life took meaning, shape, and direction from it. And so Good. much so, so. So that's so significant, because I think I may be growing up or whatever, because my pastor didn't have an understanding. <laughs> uh, growing up, you just started this idea, oh, Jesus is just some sort of, you know, avatar that drops out of the sky into this thing, and he knew everything. And, yeah. like, his own story is part of this story. Uh, it makes me think, like, that's an, it was the anchor for his life, right? right? And now he becomes the anchor for our lives. Um, I, we were talking, you and I, we were prepping this series, we are saying, what, we need anchors right, right, right now, right, we need right, unanchor. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the picture that came to mind 
uh, is that when you're in a boat being tossed around, the, the inclination is to grab the mast right. <laughs> to be steady or some part of the boat. Yeah. The problem is it's in the storm too. Right. Um, it's being tossed around. And, you know, I was thinking like we live in a season and a time where not just in our personal lives, but it feels like so many things are being shaken and upset and we're tossed back and forth. Um, and our inclination is to grab onto something within our world right. for steadiness, right? right? Like my, my identity or my, my work or my finances or my relationship status or the people around me, all of which is instinctive. But the, the problem with that is it's in the boat too. Yeah. Um, and the same thing is true, what we just talked about, when it comes to the whole issue of meaning, we're all looking for meaning and purpose. How do we interpret our present lives? But here's the key. The meaning of history cannot come from within history. It has to come from outside history because if I want to use a simple analogy, if you're reading a book and you want to understand what this particular chapter means, you have to know, is this the first, second, third chapter of the book or is it the 85th chapter of a 90 chapter book? Makes a big difference and that's the problem. We never know at any given time how much of history has already happened. So it requires someone completely from outside of history who sees all of it mm -hmm. to be able to read meaning into any one particular dimension. Yeah. And I think that goes along with this anchor business. Anchor, meaning, has to come from outside. Yeah. And the story of the incarnation that Jesus, God himself, became a human being. Came from the outside. outside in. Into here and then helped us understand. So this is interesting because I was thinking about, like if I just want to talk directly to you, you young people, like junior highs, senior highs, you know, this idea of like, um, what do I hang on to? Who am I? Who's my identity? The, the outset kind of of your life and where you're going. Um, you're being told there's all kinds of different anchors that you can grab onto and they, this is going to hold you. But they're all within, they're also being tossed around in the storm. This idea that you need a voice or really a person from outside our world to the inside right. to tell us who we are and how to live and where to go. The problem is people in our culture will say, oh, that's oppressive. Yeah. You know, you can't have any one... Uh, religion, system, person, tell you who you are, tell you what to do. That's controlling. Um, you know, that's gonna, they're gonna use you for their purposes. All of which may be true yeah. for every, the, every other institution and person. The reason it's not true about God is God doesn't need anything from us. That's the key. He, he doesn't need yeah. to use our story to right. somehow make his life better. Right. He's happy without us. Right. <laughs> He's wealthy without us. Right. He doesn't need us. Right. He, he wants things for us. And, and he is outside of the storm of the world that is tossing and turning us upside yeah. down. So his voice from the outside in is the one voice, and he is the one person that has the ability to define and anchor us and shape us where we're going to go. And as you said, and, the, yeah, go yeah, ahead. And the other amazing thing is that the way he did it, he didn't give us decrees and dictates yeah. from outside. He became a human being like us and walked the path that we are to walk. And that's what goes back to where I began by saying Jesus himself entered human history as a human being, as the quintessential human being from which all of us take our life, life cues. And he immersed himself in this story and he did exactly what we can do. He interpreted his life. Mm -hmm. The amazing thing about the incarnation is though God became a man. The Bible says he emptied himself meaning that he became fully complete. He didn't empty himself off something. He emptied himself into humanity. Mm -hmm. And as a human being, he grew in his understanding. I mean, the mind of Jesus, what did he think about when he was thinking about himself is a mystery. The scriptures don't tell us that. But we certainly see development. For example, one of the gospel writers who wrote the biography of Jesus says 
he grew in wisdom and stature and with God and with man. And where was all that wisdom coming from? From the scriptures. And so, <laughs> so are you saying, this is so cool, are yeah. you saying that Jesus got his identity and understood, part of the way he understood his life was from the scriptures? Well, exactly. Yeah. Because when he rose from the dead, Easter Sunday, we did, you know, he, he, the Christian faith rises or falls on Easter. Not just Jesus' teachings of Jesus. All kinds of people taught what he did before. Much, some of his teachings aren't really all that new. They were already in existence for a while. Yeah. But he rose from the dead. And what's the first thing that was recorded for us? What's the first thing he said to the two disciples? He didn't give them a bunch of rules to follow. He didn't say, now you go and do this. He said, let me tell you what my death and resurrection meant. And he basically walked them through the whole Bible that they had up till that time. Starting from the Old Testament, Moses, mm -hmm. all the way through the writings of the prophets and the poets, and how they spoke about him. Now, of course, he fully understood. This is what I meant by saying he took his shape from that. And throughout the, his actual living, he would say things like, the son, meaning himself, I can do nothing except what the, I see the father do. I can speak nothing except what I see the father. Well, where was he learning all this from? Mm -hmm. He wasn't watching a video. <laughs> He just saw and understood the flow of his own people's history, the workings of God, what was lacking, what was needed, mm -hmm. and how his unique vocation was to come and fulfill that destiny. It came from the scriptures. So this is so cool because mm -hmm. it makes me just think, okay, so Jesus' whole life was shaped by his understanding of the story of God and his place in it. Right. Of course, he becomes the fulfillment of it. He was God in the right. story. But as you said, he emptied himself into humanity. Right. As uh, one person said the other day, not as the exception to humanity, but as the prototype right, exactly. of a new humanity. Right. So so he, he um, Jesus' life, like he steeped himself in scripture, what we call the Old Testament, or the first half. Then he said... Um, after his resurrection, how the whole story was about him. Mm -hmm. So, like, not only was he shaped by it, he said, actually, this whole thing is about me, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. Mm -hmm. Then he said his own words and teachings were adding to the story. Yeah. They were also scripture, yeah. right? Which was probably one of the reasons that got him killed, yeah. was he was basically interpreting, reinterpreting, and adding to this sacred story that the, his Jewish audience would have said, well, these were the words of God. And now he's saying, yeah, and my words are the words of and, God. And something we might miss completely in our normal reading is the word amen. We're all used to saying amen in the church. Yeah. But we, somebody says something which and we, we say more, amen. Uh, just say, we, a little, which, yeah. which is usually us saying, okay, so be it. Whatever you said, let it be so. Yeah. But it's interesting. Remember when you read in the Bible when Jesus speaks, he begins by saying truly, truly. Mm -hmm. It's actually the word amen. Amen, amen, I say unto you. Whenever we speak, the amen comes at the end, which mm -hmm. is God speaks and we say, let it be so. Yeah. When Jesus speaks, he puts it at the front end, meaning yeah. this is the way it is. This is the way it is. We just miss it completely. Yeah. What he was basically saying was, this is God's word. I say it and it happens. Mm -hmm. oh, that's so good. Yeah, that amazing? And, yeah, and, he's, and even when he's giving you know, one of his famous sort of teaching sections called the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you've heard it said, yeah. but I say to you. Now, at times he was referencing their traditions right. and he was reinterpreting their traditions. Right. At times he's saying things that God said in scripture. Yeah. He was referencing not just their traditions, right. but those words you hear God said. So there were ways in which Jesus not just was steeped in this first half of the story, said it was about him, but was now saying, I have the authority now to 
add to this story, yeah. interpret and reinterpret it right. for you. Like mm -hmm. you said, these words, amen, what I'm about to say. It's what theologians like to call progressive revelation. Yeah. It's a development and understanding. You know, like we start reading ABC books, C, Jane, Run kind of books mm -hmm. that we read. Mm -hmm. But we don't stay there. Yeah. We come and read complex sentences and literature, language, other languages, and stuff like that. Yet those building blocks were essential, but they were for something much more. Yeah. I think that's a good way to see that. Too. Yeah, that's good. So um, that's an interesting point, mm -hmm. this idea of progressive revelation. Right. So uh, when you read scripture, and we're going to get into like later, how do you read the weird parts, right. the messy parts, right. the parts you don't understand? Um, you have to know where in the story you're reading. Because right. as you said, some of the early parts is like, you know, sea ball, chase the ball, you know, like yeah. uh, Dick and Jane chase the ball. Yeah. Like it is, is rudimentary. Yeah. Uh, not the language, the literature is phenomenal, but the stories at its early parts. Yeah. And God was dealing with people who, in a sense, were babies. Like, that, oh, totally. Right? They didn't yeah. know him. So yeah. sometimes you read some of the early parts. This is getting ahead. We never yeah. rehearsed it. But anyways, this is part of this. Uh, that's why Jesus comes later to help them re-see the whole trajectory exactly. of the story. Because yeah. yeah. it wasn't all there in the opening pages. Um, so very I, interestingly, he even, in his life, he recapitulated Israel's journey, you know? What's, that's a big word. What the word recapitulate means you kind of take it into yourself and relive the whole thing once again. So remember the Israelites in the Old Testament, some people might remember, went to Egypt. Jesus was a refugee after he was born, and he went to Egypt. Then he came back out of Egypt, back into Palestine, which is what Israel did. And what was the first thing he did as an adult? He went into the wilderness. He was tempted in the wilderness. He was tested by the devil in the wilderness. Israel went for 40 years in the wilderness to be mm -hmm. tested and tempted by. Adam and and Eve were tempted in there. And yeah. when Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Yeah. And that's the whole point. Again, another way of saying the whole story is okay. about me. It mm -hmm. all converges on me. And where did I get shaped to my story? From the word of God. That's probably the bottom line answer to why should we immerse ourselves in it. Yeah, because it's it's Jesus. Mm -hmm. And and I think like even if you're someone here that you're like, oh, I don't I don't know if I believe everything that you guys believe about mm -hmm. Jesus. Good, fine. What I would say is you would be hard pressed <laughs> to find a more remarkable life in history right. than Jesus. Right. I mean he's on Time magazine's cover more than anybody else <laughs> right. or whatever. The Bible I was reading the other day that the Bible isn't on the bestseller list book because it would be number one every year right. since it was printed. Yeah. So this story is about someone whose life so dramatically changed and shaped the world. Right. Literally several billion people over the last 2,000, billions of people over the last 2,000 years from every different part of the world in every different language call him Savior and Lord. There have been more songs written about him than any other person on the planet. Right, and we clamor to read, we clamor to pay 50 bucks to buy a book because New York Times bestseller list has run yeah. how long? Yeah. For a few weeks, for yeah. a few months, maybe for a year or so. Yeah. Who would not read the all-time consistent yeah. bestseller translated into more language? And more than that, as I was driving up here thinking about this, this thought came to my mind. This is the book that in order to translate it, people have given their whole lives. Some people yeah. have literally been willing to be martyred yeah. for to the book. put the book into What other, other book is like that? I mean, just pure intellectual integrity, honesty, and curiosity yeah. ought to make us read it. Yeah. Like if this is the book that shaped the life of Jesus, that is about the life of Jesus, yeah. that records the words of Jesus that he said were also 
from God, like this is worth uh, reading. And then, and then some of the rest of the letters after were just his friends and followers trying right. to make sense of right. this whole story. Mm-hmm. So next week we're going to talk more about, right. okay, the whole story, and then if that's true, how do I read it? I guess where I wanted to uh, really camp out a little bit today was in this whole, like, why do I read the Bible? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily why should I, we talked about, but why mm-hmm. do I? Mm-hmm. Um, Nikki Gumbel in the Alpha Course, you know, makes this great uh, analogy, like, uh, about his wife and how if somebody wrote a book about her, yeah. you know, that he loves her, he would read it. Um, but he said, if I, if somebody gave me the book and said, this is an amazing girl, you should probably consider dating her and marrying her. Here's the book. He's like, okay, I yeah. might read the book. Yeah. But he's like, I'm only reading because I want to know the person. Right. Yeah. And I think that's so unique. You mentioned this about the difference between the Bible being about teachings and things like that um, versus... Uh, a person I think this stands unique in all of we can say this kind of religious literature or a holy book literature Uh right Mm -hmm. Um, we did a series last year talking about your uh, journey of faith from Hinduism to uh, being a Jesus follower and you know uh, Hinduism has like um, the the Vedas you know the the teachings Um, Buddhism itself like the the eightfold uh, path and the, there's been teachings even in the Old Testament, so the book of the Jews, um, in the Quran, there's lots of, you know, and so the idea of teaching and wise literature, Confucius, like there's, there's lots of records of that. Um, but I, I feel like that what is so unique about scripture is it, it's leading us to a person. It's inviting us into right. a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember hearing someone make the point that like, in a sense, Jesus is unique amongst all other holy teachers because all other holy teachers pointed to the teachings. The teachings were the right, thing. Right, even yeah. Buddha, you know himself, like the, the, it was the teachings that were meant to live on and outstrip the teachings. In fact, in fact one time I was talking to someone mm. from another faith background, mm. and that person actually said to me, "Well, it doesn't matter if this person actually is a historical figure or not. Yeah. We have the teachings." We have the teachings. Well, that would make no sense at all if Jesus didn't actually live die and say these things, his teachings have no value at all. Yeah, and he even said, like, the teachings point to me. Right, right. So what does it mean that when you think about, like, okay, we're reading this scripture mm. for relationship, mm. how does that change how we read it? Or Oh, Matt, this would probably be the single biggest revolution in my own life, because when I first started, I'm an engineer by background and by training, Analysis and ana- analytical approach is what comes to me intuitively. Really? Yeah. So, so I read the Bible. It was yeah. just about information and concepts and things like that, which it is. It is. It's a fascinating yeah, it's certainly, book, right? Uh, that, literature. More yeah. than that, it was not one I, until I began to realize, no, no, no. These are not just words that convey information. They are the voice of God himself speaking. Mm. And when someone speaks, as opposed to someone who gives information, the speaking is always relational. So if I suddenly say to you, hey, Vijay, mm-hmm. unless you're either deaf or incredibly rude, you're going to turn to me and say, yeah, yes, that. Yes, what? Because a voice invites somebody into a, a conversation. Yeah. It can be a gentle thing. It can be a basic conversation. It can introduce us to mystery. It can command us. Mm-hmm. The, the conversation go, can go in a hundred different directions. Mm-hmm. But it is basically a voice that addresses somebody personally mm-hmm. and pulls them into a conversation with God and a dialogue that transforms them one way or another. Mere information, it's raining outside. Oh, okay, 
that may or may not do anything mm-hmm. for us. And I think this is what happens. We often read the Bible only for information, but first and foremost, it is a voice. Now, how we get into hearing that as a voice is a different question. I'm sure we'll touch on it as we move along. Yeah, we will. But I think if when we look at it that way and say, I am here to hear God speak to me, mm-hmm. that makes all the difference. And this is where, even though the invention of the printing press was such a huge blessing, because now we're able to copy the Bible, print it, and distribute it. And there's massive, massive benefits that come. We all read books, mm-hmm. etc. It wasn't how it started. For the first 1,500 years of what we call the New Covenant after the coming of Jesus, most people couldn't read. Mm-hmm. And so their major encounter with the Word of God was to have it read, and they listened to it. Mm-hmm. Now... We might say, because we are not an oral culture, we're not very good at listening, well, I wouldn't remember anything. Yeah. But the oral cultures were trained to remember what they heard. And the one huge advantage was they never mistook it for information because some live voice was always speaking it. And you know what? This shift from listening to reading mm. has come at a massive price. Mm. Now think with me for a moment, folks. If you're, if you're reading something as opposed to listening to it, First of all, you're in control when you read. You decide when to pick up the book, you decide when to stop. <laughs> when you're listening, somebody else starts the conversation and you listen until they finish. You're not in control. Secondly, it's a question of initiative. You determine whether the process of reading starts at all or not. In listening, somebody speaks to you and they initiate the process. Thirdly, it's one of attitude. When you're reading, you're over something. I mean, you read like this. Very few people read like this. You read over something, and when we are over something, it's a lot easier to judge it. But when you are listening to something, in fact, the Greek language, I think if I'm not mistaken, the Greek scholars can correct me, is the word is literally means, the word to obey means to listen under. You're actually physically sitting underneath, and therefore reception, submission, uh, teachability come much more naturally. And so I think this is a massive shift that we've not even become aware of. We seize control, we seize initiative, uh, it is the one of attitude. And then finally, attention. When we are reading, the book doesn't know that we are paying attention. That's why so often we stop and say, oh, what did I read? And you move back four yeah. pages. But when you're listening, the listener will know right away, hey, you're not listening to me, your eyes are wandering somewhere. So I think we have paid a price. Yeah. And the key is to sh- recover the shift from reading for information yeah. to listening for a relationship. Yeah, and I think you're not just talking about, hey, we have audio versions of the Bible, no. which are, which is actually really significant. Yeah, that's a plus two. Um, yeah. But you're saying this is God's voice who he wants to speak to us. He wants to be known. Exactly. Yeah. He he is revealing himself through the pages of these this, this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a magic book no. or a magic bullet, but it is the most robust uh, revelation, you talked about revelation, that we have of God. Revelation, this idea of like, we can see and know God. Um, you know, and, because... and look at the metaphors that the Bible uses for itself. Yeah. And metaphors are sometimes far more powerful than just the words, because they're not concepts, they're pictures. He, he talks about the word as a living thing, as a sword that pierces, as a hammer that breaks, as a fire that consumes, as honey from the rock, as water, as the finest of wheat, as a lamp, bread. as a light, as bread. My goodness, yeah. it, it just ransacks the metaphors of our language yeah. to describe the multifaceted richness of this book. 
Yeah, and I think the reason that's true mm. is because it's God. Yeah, it's yeah. revealing God and His voice. He does all these things. Exactly. Yes. His His word, like when you talk about a hammer, His word can break through things that seem cloudy for right. us, right? Honey, like his word is sweet, but his word is a sword. Sometimes it cuts through our defenses. It cuts through our sin. It cuts through our um, the fog sometimes. Yeah. Like, but this is God. This is and a, even hammer may sound like a negative image, yeah. but sometimes we have built this outer protective layer because we've been hurt in life, mm -hmm. and God's truth about His love can't, can't come through. in yeah. until He breaks that hard yeah. shell. So the hammer is not always a bad thing. Sometimes you need hammers to get inside a coconut, for example. Yeah. You know, you just use the hammer very carefully. Yeah. yeah. So I think all of that makes sense only and always when we come back to this idea of relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting when we talk about revelation. It's like we can know God through nature. Some people are like, oh, I'm not a reader. Like, I just feel God's presence when I'm in creation. Totally. I, I do too, and I'm actually learning to kind of cultivate more of that when I'm outside or when I'm in other places. But I, I think the, the picture of God revealed in nature is very incomplete. You know, we can see beauty. We also see terror. You know, like... It's like, what? Like, there's hurricanes or whatever because we live in a broken right. world. That's not giving me a, a perfect picture of God. Right. And Jesus said, and the writers uh, around Jesus said, he is the full revelation, the full picture of God. Right. So it's not enough just to be in nature or even talk with other right. people who know God. All those things are a part of us, there are God some, being revealed. There are some <clears throat> things about God. In fact, the Bible itself says there are two things about God that we can understand just from nature. His power... Mm -hmm. And the fact that there is someone outside, something big, transcending yeah, the history, this yeah. outside voice, yeah. that, and his beauty, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, certain dimensions yeah. of that, and then but of course, the, but in the his creation of us as human beings too. But the relational knowing, like that's Absolutely. one thing. If like yeah. if somebody, if I knew you only as somebody I, I saw, you yeah. know, I, you were giving a political speech, or I saw you yeah. on TV or something like that, it's like no, no, like the intimacy of father, son, of family, of friendship husband, wife, like all those are like, that's that's a different kind of knowing. And this is how the Bible continues to describe our relationship with God that these pages facilitate. In fact, I came up with three, three P words to help me. I can write a paragraph about you and say, hey, this is my son. Yeah. I can send a photograph of you and say, this is my son. And the yeah. second one reveals a little bit more. But the third one is yeah. what you and I are doing right now, yeah. which is, this is my son, and yeah. this is my father. We're yeah. in a relationship. Yeah. So it's a difference between a paragraph about God or a photograph of God or images of God to the person of God yeah. himself. That's good. And so I think, like, all those other things are helpful, but yeah. Scripture is the most foundational um, a gift that we have to be invited into relationship with God. Um, if you look at the fact very quickly that, that the average Bible size is about 1,100 pages, mm -hmm. and if you look at the teaching part of it, it may be 100 to 150 pages. Over 900 of those 1,100 pages is about people and God in relationship. Mm -hmm. What is that telling us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting too. We'll, we'll talk about that next week, how yeah. like the relationships are at the center of this right. whole thing, yeah. um, which is good because we actually feel like, yeah, that is true about life. That, and that's where, like, it's so much more than just didactic teaching yeah. and, you know, moral, pithy sort of saying. I mean, we're all as happy as our relationships are in life, right? Right. And Not you, about how we think. Yeah, and you made a comment when we did our series last year, like, relationships are the things that ultimately transform yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so to be transformed, like, why ultimately yeah. read this word? Yeah. To be changed. Yeah. 
into the person you long to be, God made you to be, he is inviting you to be. Like we read this for relationship with God, which ultimately has a transformational effect on us. And as I said, the only person who's going to gain from it is you and all the people you love. Because when we become the people we're meant to be, man, everyone else around us goes, oh, finally. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So let's just, can we just like a couple minutes on, if you were to say like, just one thing that you'd say in the way that God's word has transformed your life. I know we could spend an hour, but <laughs> oh like, my so goodness. it's not fair to ask you for one. No, I'll tell you. We're probably we're going to be amplifying it greater. It, yeah. To me, it's this whole idea that I just don't know about God from the Bible. I get language with which to deal with him in my everyday life. Mm. There's no part of my life that I cannot lay before this God. Mm. And I have language in which we need training. We need training in language, right? Mm. And that comes to me from there. That's one thing. Secondly, that my story is connecting into earth. We're going to be talking about that later too. Mm. My story is connected. Those are the two. And therefore, I get meaning and purpose in my direction, all set in the context of a relationship. Meaning and purpose rooted in a relationship with the unchanging God, with me fickle changing all the time, mm-hmm. and a language with which by that's totally transformation. Yeah, that's good. And you know, just a teaser for next week, we're gonna talk about how one of the struggles we have with reading scripture is it's so old. Right. But next week I want you to tune in because <laughs> I, it just dawned on me as we were prepping for this. Why the fact that it's so old is the best thing about it. Totally. There's so, so many people. We're going to yeah, get into that. Sure. Yeah. I would say my own story, like, uh, this is something that I have found. I mean, you really just encouraged me to read this over and over and over. And I'm amazed at how my life has changed. The world has changed every year. Every day in my life is different. And yet I read this same book, and yet it's new every time because it's a voice. Mm -hmm. It's like the conversations you and I had when I was 5 or 15 or 25 or 35 or 45. Like, you're the same person in a sense. Like, the relationship is there, but those, those, it's dynamic. And, of course, the analogy breaks down at a certain point. But, like, this is the point. Like, this is about God who is alive and dynamic and in relationship with us. His words and the story keep unfolding. And so I find that it is fresh to me and timely and relevant just right it. And I would say not every day, all the no, time. No, no, of course. It's I not got, that I, way. And there are some good reasons for that. Now, now, I bet you some people listening to us are going to say, yeah, that's all nice for you both to talk about. Yeah. You are pastors. You've been yeah, trained. Yeah. Can I say a word to some of you who are thinking like that? Uh, if uh, Vijay's mom, my wife, were here with us, she would not call herself an academic. But she has encountered these scriptures in exactly the way that we've been talking about. She has been transformed by an immersion in the scriptures, by that relational encounter with God. As a non-academic, as someone whose primary calling in life was a homemaker and a mother and now a grandmother. So we don't need to ever excuse ourselves by saying, oh, I'm not an academic or I'm not clever enough. This has nothing to do with that. You and I, if we are Christ followers, we have the mind. In fact, even if you're not a Christ follower, you're just investigating. You've been given a mind that is beautifully shaped for exactly this book. Yeah. Uh, I want you to listen to this story. We were chatting about this that uh, Nikki Gumbel told on the Alpha Course about a friend um, whose life was transformed by scripture in, in quite a remarkable <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. So just have a listen to that. I had a friend named Earl Smith. Everyone in his family was wealthy. Earl was so rich, he didn't need to work. And instead, he started taking drugs. 
He took such hard drugs that he ended up in hospital at the age of 30. Someone came to visit him and gave him a gift, a copy of the New Testament. Earl was thrilled because he realised that the pages of his new Bible were perfect for rolling joints. And he'd rolled his way through Matthew, Mark, Luke. And when he got to John's Gospel, he finally started reading. After reading John's Gospel, Earl came to faith in Jesus Christ. And his life was never the same again. It affected everything in him and everyone around him, including his psychologist, a beautiful doctor named Tommy. She couldn't understand it. I don't understand it, she said to Earl. I have everything. A great job, money, family, friends. And yet, inside, I feel totally empty. Meanwhile, your life is a complete mess. And you still have this extraordinary peace about you. So Earl told her all that he'd read in the Bible. He explained what it felt like to be loved by Jesus Christ. Earl led Tommy to know Jesus. And then he married her. Earl and I trained together at Theological College. Man, that is amazing. And, and maybe you have not smoked your way through the pages of Scripture. Maybe that's one of the good reasons it's digital now. Um, but I would say, and here's a challenge for us over these next, um, or really over the next uh, couple months in the summer, is we're going to encourage uh, us all as a church to go through a Bible reading plan together. You can find it on version. It's called The Whole Story. There's actually four parts to it. Each each part is 30 days, so this could take you all the way through to the fall, but we just start like at least for kind of June, July, August together. Uh, we're going to read that. So you can find that on version or Bible.com. Um, it's called The Whole Story. And we're going to be reading it together as a community. If you are, uh, if you have a profile on uh, Uversion, which you could do, um, you can find friends on there who are from uh, our church, and you can say, "Hey, like, let's read it together." Like, um, so you're each reading it, but you can post insights about that or message each other. Like, sometimes I know just reading it with other people is so helpful. So we want to encourage you to start that. Um, you can start that today. Um, it's called the whole story, and to work your way through it over the next little while. And our hope and prayer is like as we continue to peel the layers of this, that um, you will experience your own story of transformation, whether this is the first time you've ever picked up the book or you're picking it up again for the first time in a long time, or maybe you've just kind of lost a sense of expectation and uh, just reminding yourself this is about relationship, not about, you know, teaching or words merely. Um, And so our hope and prayer is that that's that this Bible reading plan will help you, but these series will start a new desire and a commitment to reading this book and finding the words of life in it.